Hello, welcome to episode 45 of North Point Plus. I got nothing about 45. I got nothing either. No. I looked, I was like, there's some athlete that wore 45. And there is an athlete that's worn 45. Yeah. I just don't know them. That, that's the thing that I've made up. I think yeah. I thought of someone else. Yeah, I'm thinking is Archie Griffin was in the 40s or so. I mean, you're a Michigan fan, kind of. I got to look it up now. I got to know. So I, I like, like you like intro. <laughs> I like the colors. I like the colors of Michigan. <laughs> I don't know if I like... Yeah, I don't like it enough to do this anything is, else. This doesn't speak to anybody else who's listening to this podcast that I'm looking up. Yeah, 45, Archie Griffin. Hey, hey, you know sports. All right. There's a feather in your cap. For what it's worth, I have his autograph. No, you don't care. Mark doesn't care, but I have his autograph. Not many people yeah. care. Yeah, on his jersey. It's cool. I love it. I got to hang <laughs> it up sometime. Well, you should wear that the next time you It's in a podcast. box. I got. I like told myself, oh, I'm getting this framed. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's expensive, so it's in a box. <laughs> Yeah, it's not that it's not cool. It's that I'm cheap. That's what it All is. All the collectors out there are loving that. Yeah. yeah right. Well, that's fun. Well, welcome to North Point Plus. Uh, sorry for that bumpy intro. <laughs> we'll think of a compelling intro next time. Uh, this is our follow-up podcast uh, for our uh, messages on Sundays. So we gather together on Sundays. We do life together, church together, worship, uh, dive into God's word. And this, convers- uh, this podcast is an opportunity to continue the conversation uh, by answering questions diving in a little deeper into the text which is fun yeah. i'm joined by jake jake you spoke on sunday continuing our series in colossians mm-hmm. um what did we talk about what's the big takeaway from this past sunday uh virtual reality is bad and nobody should have a vr and if you do you're a terrible person that's my takeaway as well <laughs> i'm glad we landed there <laughs> oh. virtual reality is sinful yeah <laughs> put it in quotes Share it. <laughs> Let everybody know. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we we showed the analogy of virtual reality and that it can be cool, it can be attractive, it can be fun. Um, and I actually uh, played with Andy's virtual reality device the night before and had a blast. Um, yeah. But it's that idea that in our spiritual life, um, there are a lot of things that we settle for that are just virtual reality and are not the real deal because only Jesus is the real deal. So uh, whether it's too many rules then we've created legalism around ourselves or succumb to legalism that somebody else has put on us or we've settled for uh, a cheap substitute of something else, um, it's really the idea of just kind of putting down that, that fake reality and recognizing that the real deal is only found in Jesus. And what does that mean? Yeah, I think the the analogy of virtual reality is so relevant because for anyone that's used it, mm-hmm. it's worth trying. It because really virtual is. reality is fascinating. Yeah. It was the first time Saturday I had ever done yeah. it, and I did the sword game. Oh yeah, yeah. And I kept yeah. losing because I didn't realize you had to go a certain way with the arrows. Like, <laughs> so I went and like did the in the instructions. Like, it's so typical. Like, yeah. hi, I'm a guy. I just It'll jumped just into jump the in, game. You'll get it. Yeah. Like this is easy, <laughs> and then I lose in ten seconds, and I'm like, all right, we're going to do the instructions. But it's yeah. fantastic. It is fun. It, it's a blast, and it's it's so relevant for this discussion because like so. I think I told you the story that um, we had a virtual reality headset and. Um, one of Julie's relatives is terrified of heights. And so we're like, oh, well, this would be cool. Like, we'll get you in a virtual reality thing where you'll have this kind of heights experience where you get into a cockpit in a plane and you take off and fly into space. And he was like, oh, yeah, 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 I can definitely do that. That'll be fun. And so he puts on the headset and literally just goes through the process of sitting in the cockpit. And he's like, I can't do this. It's too real. <laughs> and something, I don't know, there's something yeah. about that where it's like, but it's not real. Yeah. But for some reason, your brain just tricks you into this thinking of what I'm experiencing is real. This is terrifying. This is so real. And we definitely do that with legalism, with church stuff, where yeah. the, this becomes so much of the real thing that you you're, you trick yourself into thinking this is what it's all about. This is so real. Right. And it's just a matter of taking off the headset and being like, oh, <laughs> no, it's not. It's yeah. not real. Yeah. It's their blinders. And I think that's that's the other thing with 
with legalism especially, it's just blinders because it's really just covering your eyes from what the real thing is. Yeah. It's an object that's getting in the way of seeing the truth, of seeing the reality that is in Jesus. And and that usually that object is just a burden of you're not good enough. And here's the hundreds of reminders of why. Yeah. Oh, man. Yep. Yeah. Take those blinders off. All right. So uh, in, the, in the vein of what we've been talking about, uh, we got some questions from Sunday. Um, and I think th- these are great questions. This will be good to dive into. So one of them, it's discussing religious festivals. So part of what we talked about was in Colossians 2. At the end of Colossians 2, Paul talks about these religious festivals. So what are the religious festivals that Paul is talking about? And are there parallels for us as modern-day Christians uh, of celebrations that, that good Christians, they put in quotes, good Christians are supposed to do? So what are the old festivals and what are the kind of modern-day parallels? Yeah, it's important to keep in mind um, Paul's Jewish. So yes. that is going to be a lot of what he draws from. A lot of his audience that he's writing to in most of his letters are Jewish, not completely. Yep. Like there's a lot of Gentiles in there too. The church yep. is this beautiful thing, even from the beginning of uh, ethnicities and races and like all that stuff that comes to be uh, a part of the church and what the church is today still. Yep. Um, but so Paul is pulling a lot from from Jewish festivals here, and really he's talking about things like Passover, the the Feast of Trumpets and and, and Tabernacles and all of those kinds of things. Um, really, if you wanted to look it up, Leviticus twenty three has a, a ton of those of the list of what those would be. And okay. I think that's a good thing of what Paul is pulling from. Um, as far as parallels to celebrations and not to rule following, because I think that's the parallel right. when Paul is writing here for you to break it down that it's not. The actual celebrations, but it's this idea of legalism. It's this idea yeah. of rule following. Strict that's adherence yeah. to that celebration. Yeah. Um, so, but as far as a parallel to celebrations for us, um, we've talked about this before. I think we under celebrate. Yeah. In America. Yep. American Christian Church. Yep. Um, not everywhere in the church, but we have Christmas. We've got Easter. Um, we do other things. We were talking beforehand. Communion. Um, yep. That we do continually. That are these these whole point of these festivals is is remembrance and pointing towards the thing to come, mm. and that was the big thing is Jesus has already come yeah. in our timeline. Um, so I just think there's a lot of times that we under celebrate, we don't celebrate big spiritual markers in our lives or yep. things that have been done. Um, and there's healthy, great ways to do that that can yep. be different for everybody, different for each person, but. Yeah, so um, one of the things I did think of as far as this idea of other things good Christians are supposed to do, um, it's easy for things to become rigid. It's easy for that right. thing to pop up. Um, we were talking a little bit. I think Lint is a really cool example of something that yep. is good yep. that has gotten some distortion to it. You know, um, Lint is that time of, of fasting before Easter in yep. preparation. 40 days, is that right? 40 days? I think so. Yeah, and so that's 40 days before Easter, um, and you've given up something. Uh, it used to be giving up meat, all meat, mm-hmm. then fish was allowed. Yep. Um, and now people just kind of choose a thing. A lot of times it's sweets. Yep. Um, Give up this sugar. Is, this is where it's gotten a little weird because the day before Lent kicks off, <laughs> is Mardi Gras Fat Tuesday? Yeah. Right. So, and it's like we are gonna consume. Uh, what are those punchkis? Yes. Right. Have has like the little I, baby in it, and it's just. I refuse to even yellow. pronounce that word because oh, it's man. Words shouldn't be written differently than they're pronounced. <laughs> I'm I'm adamantly opposed to it. I protest it. <laughs> Speak English. I refuse right. to participate. <laughs> And it's just this idea that, like, so we've overindulged in the thing right. that we're now going to give up. And that's just kind of breaks the whole point of what Lent is about, what fasting right. is about. Or people that get so caught up into it that it becomes a barrier in their life during Lent and right. not a time of 
uh, reflection on who Jesus is and what he's doing and, and in prayer and all that. Yeah. And it just becomes a, another roadblock or a blinder that can be there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think there's, I think we under celebrate. Yeah. And I think that that goes back to what we've been talking about, like with, with Paul, his main concern being, you know, the issue is not the thing. The issue is how you've begun to treat the thing. Right. So the issue is not the celebration. The issue is kind of this, either this strict legalistic adherence to it or this kind of weird perversion to it. So like for Lent, like Fat Tuesday is kind of this weird perversion of the whole point of Lent is to stop a thing. Yeah. And we're like, well, before I stop, I better fill up completely on the thing that I'm stopping. <laughs> like that makes no sense in the spirit of the celebration. Although like, who cares if you eat donuts on Fat Tuesday? Like right. I'm not judging you for that. But it is a weird thing that we do. And then the strict adherence of like, no, it has to be done on this day. You have to give up this type of thing. And this shows your dedication to like, that's kind of what Paul is talking about is it's not bad to celebrate. It's this kind of weird adherence to it. Um, and yeah, in the spirit of like, we just don't really know how to celebrate in the church. I think it's like yeah. we, I think we had had a conversation about like, what do we do when someone has this like really cool moment of God working in their life? Like, do they get baptized again? No, like baptism, baptism is this cool thing that we celebrate, but like how else do we celebrate? Is communion part of that, of acknowledging what God has done in your life and celebrating that with your life group or the people around you? Like, sure, I think that's a great thing to do. Yeah. But yeah, trying to be intentional of it's not the thing, it's the heart behind the thing, yeah. if that makes sense. And I think it is good that we do have some celebrations like Christmas and Easter. We should make a really big deal about that. Yeah. About yep. Emmanuel, God coming to be with us, and then God defeating sin and death. Like, there's a reason. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, there's a reason we celebrate that, and, yeah. and I think we should continue to do that. So yep. it's not that there, it's bad to have these things by any means. Um, yeah. And it's not that we need to necessarily have... Christmas 2.0 that we do now, Christmas in July. You know, right, we don't right. necessarily need to like, force <laughs> something to be there, uh, but I think it's okay uh, in our communities and our churches to have moments that we celebrate. We've done it here as a church before um, when we've just celebrated the fact that North Point had been around 175 years, I think we did yeah. a celebration for it. I'm positive when we hit 200, we'll do something as well. Yep. Um, and those are worth celebrating. Yeah. And, and it's not, hey, North Point's great. It's God is great. Right, you know, and like that—that's right. what it will point to, and all the celebrations. So, yep. I think doing it individually, I think maybe doing it with your family, doing it with your life group, your community, yep. and just these moments of what they look like. Um, man, that's healthy. Yeah, it's healthy. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, in the same vein of of, of talking about these celebrations, uh, these good things that become necessary things, we've got two questions that are kind of in the same vein. So, the first one was, how can we begin to recognize when we've made a good thing into a necessary thing? And uh, a question from uh, Rachel or Metlu. How do we know if a rule is legalism or if it's actually from God? I know the answer is in the Bible, but how do we know which rules we're supposed to follow and which ones we aren't? So I want to take this second question first because I like to break the rules. So we'll go, with, we'll go with Rachel's question first of how do we know if it's legalism or if it's actually from God and how do we know which rules we're supposed to follow? And I think this can kind of be split into two parts of we have, you brought up the book of Leviticus, which is basically a book of rules. Yep. <laughs> like do this, if this, then this, if this, then this, this is how you operate in the tabernacle. This is how you operate in fam. like all of these rules. And we don't really follow those rules. Right. So why specifically with the old Testament, do we have this kind of separation of, well, now we don't, now we don't even do those rules. We don't need to do this, the celebration of the tabernacle and all these celebrations and festivals. Why, why we not do that? <laughs> yeah, there's a couple things you said in there that I thought are fantastic. Number one, because I like to break rules, yes. as a statement you made. <laughs> yeah. um, 
There's so much there. You can learn so much about me just by that one simple statement. <laughs> uh, and then the idea of Leviticus being the rule book, like that is the part where like on New Year's and everybody's like, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. That's where they stop. And then like the end of January, they're like four chapters in Leviticus and they're like, I'm done. This yep. is it right Because even if you make it through Leviticus, yeah. numbers comes next. Numbers comes <laughs> next. You're definitely right. stopping in numbers. Yeah. So it's like the, your HR department loves Leviticus. <laughs> your accountant loves numbers, right? And then the rest of us, we've all tapped out after Exodus. We're like, I'm just, I'm just going, I'm just going to the it. New Testament. I'm yeah. starting in John. <laughs> skipping it. I'm skipping it. Let's go to Kings. That sounds like fun, right? <laughs> so um, we're way off the rails on that one. Oh man. Um, so how do we know if something is, it's from God, it's actually a rule to follow it matters for us how do we know if it's legalism all these comparisons i think for a lot of good things in life we can just say it points to jesus like start with jesus yep. um the pharisees kind of came to him and, um, and said hey basically which rules do we follow yeah. uh, and jesus answered and said hey what's the greatest rule they asked him and, and he said i'll give you two love god with all your heart mind and soul and, and love others as yourself and there's a ton in there yep. um that he says love god with everything and that he only tells us to love others as ourself um which i think actually says more about us than other people right um so i think that's a really good starting point and i would say the rest of the New Testament as we're breaking it down are our Jesus's example uh, lots of, of letters that have to do with how does that look in a tangible way of loving God and loving others in the New Testament so um, I think that's a really great place to start um, to be a part of that as well um, I think the emphasis in legalism is the rule um, and I think the emphasis in uh, following after grace and mercy is Jesus um, and I think it's important to point out in that Jesus is when we say following Jesus with grace and mercy, a lot of times uh, there's like the tendency to flip into this. Well, then there are no rules. Mm. Everything is just forgiven, right? Paul talks about, well, then grace can abound, right? Like right. this sarcastic high principle right. he puts forward there. Right. Um, following in grace and mercy doesn't mean that there are no rules. And yeah. it doesn't mean that there are no consequences. It doesn't mean that there are no boundaries in life. It doesn't mean that we all just completely... Uh, are happy-go-lucky with everything. Right. Grace and mercy in, in a relationship at times means having tough conversations. Yep. And I think at times we forget that. It means creating healthy boundaries. Yep. Like that is a part of grace and mercy as right. well, that not having those things is not gracious, is not merciful if I don't put good boundaries mm. around. If I don't tell my kiddo, like if I let my kiddo run rampant in our house and there are no boundaries for her, that's completely unsafe. That's not gracious or merciful to her. Right. That's not realistic for how the world works. That's not gracious and merciful to raising right. my kids. So there are those principles at play. So I just want to make sure like we say that so that people don't hear grace and mercy and just think like sin doesn't matter. It's all good. Right. <laughs> yeah, no. So. Right. Yeah, and I think I think in this you know, how do we how do we start to discern if it's if it's legalism or if it's actually from God? I think going back to I think Paul mentions in this passage that these things that they are adhering to are shadows, yeah. which is a really great term yeah. because uh, Paul, up to this point, and we talked about in the week before, that Paul kind of begins to paint this picture of Jesus as this fulfillment of something from the Old Testament. So if we're looking at specifically you know, the rules and regulations and the celebrations and all these things that uh, Jewish people followed, these are meant to be shadows, these kind of dim reflections of the real thing. Mm -hmm. And so now that you have the real thing in Jesus, you don't need to rely on animal sacrifice and temple imagery and celebrations of the tabernacle because Jesus is the better tabernacle. Jesus is the better temple. Jesus is the better sacrifice. And so you have this, again, going back to this imagery of virtual reality where you choose to kind of put 
the headset back on and say like, oh, wow, this is a really better, this is a beautiful image. And Paul is like, Jesus is right in front yeah. of you. Yeah. <laughs> like, take yeah. off the headset. Like, yeah. he's really here. You don't need to keep putting the headset back on. Um, and so that ultimately is, I think that's where we start to discern, is it legalism or is it from God? Is is it the real thing or is this is this a shadow of the real thing? And so for examples of legalism, like dancing, the people in the church shouldn't dance. You know, we're the, we're the footloose church. We can't dance. The <laughs> um, that's legalism because yeah. there's nothing from God that says, in order to be in Christ, thou shalt not dance. Yeah, That's legalism. So that's how you start to discern, you know, ha- is there a clear command from God of this is a rule that in grace and mercy I'm providing for the church? Or is this something that the church is choosing to elevate to say, hey, to keep us safe, we're just going to not dance. We're not going to watch rated R movies. We're not going to play cards. We're not going to drink. We're not. That's fine for you to do individually. Mm-hmm. It's not for the church to say, hey, to dance is to sin. Ugh, that's not something that God says. Right. So to elevate it to something that God says is dishonest of us, and we're putting the headset back on. Yeah. You know, I got asked a couple weeks ago. Um, I just love having hallway conversations on a Sunday. Yeah. Um, very rarely do I remember them because we have so many of them. Like that's the common <laughs> phrase when somebody asks you something, you're like, email me because I'm going to forget all of this. And it always <laughs> happens. Uh, I actually remember this one and it was the question of like, hey, why were there so many rules mm. in the Old Testament that they had to adhere to like some dietary stuff or right. all of these kinds of stuff? Like what was the point of that right. that we no longer do now, but they had to then? Like right. why does it change? Why is God changing his mind? Sure. Is that what God is doing? Um, and what's cool is a lot of those things, when you, especially when you get to like some of the dietary restrictions, there's so much protection in that. Yeah. Like when God would say, don't eat this or don't do that, yeah. um, because the surrounding nations would, and they were dying mm. because they didn't have some of the health standards that like we know yeah. today to deal with things like even pork or whatever right. it might be on those kinds of stuff. So there's actually um, some sanitation stuff in there yep. that God is just lovingly taking care. It's almost like at times he's teaching his kids how to eat and potty train. And as somebody who's going through potty training right now, like <laughs> you really got to wash. We're washing hands. We are washing hands every right. time right. afterwards. Right. And it is in a lot of ways, there are some Old Testament uh things that feel restrictive, but we're yeah. so good and healthy in that time for a time period and culture for people yep. that would not have known that we can break the science down now and go, oh, that would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For that, for them at that time, there's a, there's a really good, if people are curious about this, this is, it's fascinating to me, which is why I read a book on it. Uh, so I'll recommend a book if you're interested. It's called, Is God a Moral Monster? Mm-hmm. And it goes through the Old Testament of like, why did God tell them that you can't wear clothes of mix, mixed fabrics? Like, yeah. What a weird rule. Yeah. Why did God tell them that you can't eat eel, but you can eat other things? That you yeah. can't eat animals with weird hooves and like all the and so it dives into like the reasoning behind that and some of its health issues, some of its just to show separation between cities like yeah. Babylon and yeah. Israel, so that there is separate and so there's all this fascinating stuff in there. And again, it, it drives down to that point of each of those things in some way points to Jesus. And now that we have Jesus, you don't need this shadow, this thing to help remind you of where Jesus is because you have him. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really cool. So to go back to the first question then, how do we recognize when we've taken a good thing and made it into a necessary thing? How, how do we gut check ourselves and say, okay, I'm going to look at my own life and, and really ask and examine, have I taken a good thing that God's given me, like Lent, yeah. And made it a necessary thing. How do we how do we do that self-evaluation? Yeah, does the thing that you have in question um 
is it the thing or is it pointing to the thing? You mm. know, so like really what's the emphasis on there? And we keep using the word thing here a lot. But I think another good question to ask on that is what would happen if you lost it? Mm. Um, you know, is it that important in your life that, uh, man, losing it ends everything for you? Yeah. Or are you able to still go on? Can you give it up? Can you set it aside for a time period? And maybe that's a healthy thing to do, right? I think that's actually yep. one of the principles behind fasting Yep, <laughs> is that idea of what's more important, and it helps you evaluate that. Mm. Uh, because nothing's more important than Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, um, right? And, and naturally, like when I say that comment and someone's going, but my family, but my right. whatever, and but, 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 but. Right. Look, the more you follow after Jesus, you love Jesus, the better your family you're going to be with your right. family, the right. better you're going to be able to give into those kinds of things. Not that there's not ever going to be dysfunction or hardship sure. or those kinds of things, um, but following and making Jesus the most important thing in your life um, does not downgrade your family. It will actually right. make things better in your family life because you're going to be a better husband. Right. You're going to be a better father. You're going to be a better child. You're going to be a better whatever um, it looks right. like. Um but uh, yeah, I think uh, going back to just the question there, um, how do we recognize if a good thing is turning into a is a necessary thing? Is what value just in analyzing the value that we place on it? Can you mm. stop it? Can you give it away? Um, you know, the rich young ruler showed up to Jesus and was like, "Hey, I've done it all. Right? I've lived good. I've whatever," um, which is hilarious. He's literally telling <laughs> perfection how amazing he is, which is just <laughs> hilarious in and of itself. And Jesus is like, "Did you do this? 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 Ah, oh, I've done it. Right?" And yeah. it's like, "Oh." He set you up. Jesus is about to hit That's you in the cute. knees, my man. That's cute. Yeah. And he says, great, just sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, and follow me. And it, like, stops him in his tracks as he goes away sad because Jesus yeah. is pointing out, you had a thing. And it's not that it was a bad thing. Right. Like, the fact that he was good with his finances or inherited them or however he got to be the rich young ruler, whatever it was, like, but it was a thing. And Jesus was just pointing out, you have a thing in the way. I'm not the thing. Yeah. You have something else that's in the way, and you got to deal with that yeah. before you can follow me. Yeah, I think for so I, I've I've talked often about like I I grew up in a very legalistic, very traditional church, um, and so for me and in my family of of working through okay now we're really kind of <laughs> you know when we moved out of that how do we recognize how do we let go or or hold with a looser grip the things that are good so that they don't become necessary things, and I think that's honestly how I'd recommend people. Uh, uncover these things is what if someone in your family, say your spouse or your kids or your brothers or whatever, like what if they started to disagree with you on the thing that you're holding? Yeah. Like what, how do, how do you react to that person? Because if it's a necessary thing, you have uh, this kind of almost knee jerk reaction of protection for them. Like don't let go of Jesus. Cause this is, this is the necessary yeah. thing. But if it starts to become those things that are, you think are necessary, but they're good. You kind of start to see like, Oh, well I'm still like nothing has changed in our relationship because we've let go of this thing. Like nothing is really impacted um, by holding this thing a little more loosely than maybe some churches or some backgrounds or families or whoever want us to hold those things. And so that's, again, like if I think about my relationship with Julie, if Julie starts to disagree or hold differing opinions on things, for a lot of things it's going to be, okay, we just yeah. disagree. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like this isn't this isn't going to be the necessary thing that we've founded our marriage on because if we let go of that thing, that impacts a lot. But if we hold necessary things, what we've made into necessary things and hold them a little more loosely so that they're just good things, then you can work through that and be still remain unified because you both know what the necessary thing is. Yeah, it's amazing how even in this conversation it still goes back to some of the unity of the church. Yeah on the thing because Jesus is the thing. Right. So we can be loose on a lot of stuff and 
Um, you know, there's some, and I would say, hey, look, there are some bigger rocks at different levels of how we conduct yep. things of getting along. We have bigger rocks at a staff level. Um, not a lot of them because it's probably not healthy to have a lot of them, but right. um, just recognizing what those are, but also the the rock itself is Jesus. Right. You know? Yeah, and I think I think understanding on our end, those big rocks are related to, to Jesus. Yes. So like yes. for us, a big rock at North Point is the authority of Scripture. Right. So because that tells us who Jesus is. Right. If we lose the authority of Scripture, if we lose the Bible, if we lose God's revelation of himself, then we don't have God's revelation of himself. Right. Right. So that's a big rock for us. The other guideline that we always talk about is the unity of believers. Mm-hmm. That's directly related to Jesus because Jesus unifies believers. Yep. So if we let go of that, then you don't have the church. That's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. But then there's a lot of other things, like these celebrations, how we talk about Lent, how we talk about communion, how we talk about, like, there's varying opinions on yeah. that. And we still remain unified yep. because Jesus is in that. And you can find Jesus in that, and that's great. Yeah. But it's not exclusively through that. That thing is not the thing. Right. I don't know. We're, we're prob- we probably sound like crazy people because I need someone to like go back through this video and have like a thing word counter of how many times <laughs> we've said the word. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we're driving people crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's move on then. We'll go to a different question. Uh, third question. Why does Paul call out sensual indulgence in verse 23? What's the connection to the rules? Is this just an example of a rule following or is there more to it? Yeah, that's a phrase and a half, isn't it? Yeah, sensual, sensual indulgences. indulgences. Like, you know, I feel like that's a late night radio one. <laughs> right? For all you out there listening with your sensual indulgences. Welcome to sensual indulgences. Oh my gosh, we're going to we're going to get in so much trouble. <laughs> oh, it's a, that's a whole new podcast we're going to have to make. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um sensual. I will not host that podcast. Rick is. Rick is. Perfect. Ricky Rubes. Ricky Rubes and sensual indulgences. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, you can take it from here. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. We're going to have to figure out how to make that happen. Uh, great question. I think it's important. This is where um, reading different versions of the Bible can be helpful Yeah. at times and how they interpret it because uh, we recognize that different versions are emphasizing different ways. It could be uh, more of a literary, what is this actual word, more of a context-driven. Yeah. Uh, things like the message are more paraphrased. So like yeah. reading those would be really, really helpful to figure some of this out. Um, NIV and ESV use more along the lines of sensual indulgences. I think NIV was sensual indulgences. ESV was something pretty similar. Yeah, like fleshly desires or yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, and then the New Living Translation translated it as evil desire. So Paul is not necessarily saying like a sensual indulgence is a, is a kind of sin or a kind right. of missing the mark. It's not like cheating or injustice or lying or those kinds of things. Right. Uh, it's not a sin. It's all sins um, right. in essence. Is what he's saying here. It's it's um, rather these rigid rules being placed on people is what he's trying to say are not actually going to help them stop sinning. Right. So you can put more rules and try to do these things, but it's actually not going to keep you from doing that. Um, and we know this because there are laws in every single country, and people still break said laws very well, knowing the consequences of what right. will happen. And it right. still does that because right. creating rules is not the best way of creating obedience. Mm trust is right and i think that's paul going back to this idea that man trusting jesus and it's going to change you a whole lot more than just following the rules yeah is kind of what in essence he's trying to say yeah yeah i think it goes to you know paul in a lot of his letters explains he does it especially in romans explains what's the purpose of the law like why did god give rules if rules don't save us then why do we even have the rules yep. and paul's whole point is like because i'm showing you 
you can't do this. Like that's the point of the law is to highlight that every single person falls short of it except for Jesus. And so if there's one person that can fulfill the law, that's the person that is your savior because they're actually capable of saving. Yeah. And so these rules are not meant to be a savior for you. They're meant to show your need for a savior. And so when we get to something like this sensual indulgence, understanding that, yeah, Paul's talking about this, this constant desire that we have to satisfy our own sinful desires yep. to, to satisfy our own sinful pleasure. Um, and so we tend to connect that. I can understand the, the question because we tend to connect that. We, yeah. Our modern American brains tend to literally connect, you know, pleasures of the flesh, sensual. So sensuality is this kind of almost sexual immorality. And really Paul is saying like, that's, it's everything. It's yeah. every desire of sin, every desire of your flesh. That's what Paul is emphasizing. Here. Yeah, and this is where we talked yesterday um, about habits a little bit more. Yep. And just that idea, and this is where I confess my fingernail biting thing. Oh, nail biters unite. Oh, <laughs> you guys are going to get mad if you... <laughs> oh, man. Oh, the number of conversations Julie and I have had. <laughs> Julie, she... I, I, <laughs> Oh, it was trouble on our marriage. <laughs> Early on where Julie would just reach over and would like grab my hand and pull it down. And I was like, babe can't do that <laughs> i need this <laughs> i know right come on you don't know how far i am into this addiction come on honey oh man i've had my fingernails longer than i've had you <laughs> they've always been there for me yeah i know it's a bad habit now they're also on the floor around us so there you go <laughs> so gross. Uh, yeah i know it's a bad habit i know i know i need to stop jesus forgives me <laughs> oh so we talked about habits with this I'm so lost right now. <laughs> we talked about, and, and it's that idea that uh, you have to almost replace the habit um, is how they say to be able right. to do stuff because yep. just stopping it isn't going to work. Just trying to follow the rule isn't going to work. Yeah. Um, so you have to replace the habit. And I think uh, how that works with sensual indulgences is this idea of like you can't just stop sinning. You have to yeah. replace it with Jesus. It's got to be that love for Jesus that's your yep. motivator that changes you. Yep. It's not just putting the rule in that says I cannot do this anymore. Yep. Um, and that's what Paul showed in Romans of the law of like just stopping yep. isn't going to work. Yep. You're broken. It's not happening. You need Jesus. Yep. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what we had talked a little bit uh, last week of the, one of the questions on the podcast last last week was why, when we're saved, why doesn't God just fix our sin yeah. and stop our sinful desire? And what we had talked about last week was because the more you sin and the more Jesus works through your life to stop that sin, the more you understand the value of who God is. Yeah. Um, and so because I have this sensual indulgence, this desire to satisfy my sinful pleasure, the more that I understand the weight of my sin and the grace of God and the value of Jesus, the more I really get to understand that, that my sin is not valuable. My sin doesn't really ultimately satisfy. I find that in Jesus. And I grow to understand that more by this progressive, uh, this progressive process of setting aside sin, setting aside um, things that I have made into the necessary thing and giving them the rightful priority of good things, not necessary things, because it's Jesus that provides ultimate value, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate salvation. Um, and that is something that we learn in process. And that's good that God does that. Yeah. What a graves in a gardens thing, man. Like yeah. I'm, I'm more blown away. Maybe it's the season of life that I'm in of just the idea of how amazing God is of taking the broken and making it beautiful in yep. a way that nobody else can. Nope. It's you're never you're just never done. Yeah. You're just never done with Jesus because he's still working in your life, even in the even in the ugly, because that's what he steps into and makes something beautiful out of it. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what that's always blown my mind is that God 
God wants you at your ugliest yeah. so he can make you the most beautiful. And that's yeah. like, nobody else does that. No. No one does that. No. All right, last question. Uh, we talked about, um, at some point in your message, you talked about the whole, po- the whole point that Paul emphasizes here is it's simply to just be real, be authentic. Don't put on the mask. Don't, you, you know, you don't have to earn your way into church. You don't have to be the best. And then, get, like, which I, I, I totally resonate with. So this question comes in, how do we as a church then regularly practice this practice of being real? What does that look like for us in the church? Yeah, uh, I was trying to write down this morning when I saw this question. Um, I'm like, how to put this into words a little bit more? What does it tangibly look like to be real in the church? Um, so I wrote this down. I said, uh, lovingly honest, loving honesty with yourself and compassionately stepping into someone else's ugly. And I think that's kind of a two-part thing because um, we are often lie to ourselves mm. about who we are, sometimes thinking we're worse than we are, sometimes thinking we're better than we are. Um, in fact, there's the science that shows behind personality tests. And I know I made fun of my Enneagram friends, Enneagram friends, okay, <laughs> uh, a little bit yesterday. Um, but personality tests, it's proven uh, we struggle with that because uh, as humans, we have a really do a really bad job of assessing ourselves. We can assess other people slightly better. We're not necessarily great at that, actually, because yeah. we don't know their inner thoughts and stuff like that. Right. Um, but we're actually really bad about assessing ourselves, and that's kind of the struggle with personality tests is how do you figure out and deal with that dynamic. Right. Um, and so that's the thing. So we have to be lovingly honest with ourselves, and that's just taking an inventory of the good, the bad, the ugly, and maybe even the quirky yep. that is just inside of us. Uh, and I think the first step is just to be loving on yourself because no matter what you are an image bearer of god and you have worth and value because of jesus placing that upon you so um recognizing that and then i think um it's important uh to step inside of somebody else's ugly with compassion and i think this is just a really good model of things like when life group when somebody is sharing a, a struggle that they may be going through or maybe they're going down a, a hurt or a, or a bad path or, or whatever it is. Mm. Um, this idea of compassionately stepping into their ugly means you're just coming to stand beside them, mm. um, being and resonating with whatever issue might be going on. Um, and, and by stepping over there and, and being compassionate, compassion would mean um, both that you're willing to just give a compassionate hug mm. or a compassionate like slap on the back of the head yeah. <laughs> at times just to be able to say, don't go down that path, man. I love you too much. Yeah. Um, but also doing both in a manner that would be received well by the other person. Right. Right. Like that's that's part of compassion, too. So right. um, I think that idea of being real is is being honest with who you are, yep. um, but also being compassionately loving enough to be involved with somebody else's stuff yeah. or what's going on in their life, too. I think that's that's being real in the church to me. Yeah. And I think I think doing that, I think so many churches and I'm including myself in this, so many churches fail to do that well because you're waiting for the other person to do it first. We're waiting for, well, if they're going to be authentic, then I'll feel comfortable being authentic. And the problem is they're waiting for the same thing. Everyone's waiting for someone to open up and someone to be just like crack the door on vulnerability just a little bit and then we'll walk through. Um, But if we're all waiting for for the next person to be vulnerable, to be open, to share and say like, hey, I'm really struggling with this sin in my life or I've really messed up in this area or I'm really just not doing okay here and we're just everyone's waiting for the other person to do that and so we all just keep waiting we're saying we're good we're fine God's great God's good life's great everything's going well and it's not right the reality is it's not everyone knows it's not but we're just gosh it's so hard to be the first person to do that but that's what it takes is that Holy Spirit boldness of being vulnerable and asking for help 
Um, and that's something that I, again, I'm including myself in this, mm-hmm. that I struggle with. I don't like asking for help. I like yeah. to be the helper. Yeah. I don't want to ask for help. No, for sure. Um, for sure. And that's just not what we're called to in the church, that I get to be both the helper and the helped because that's what doing life together looks like. That's what it means to bear each other's burdens. But I can't, you can't bear my burden if you don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we struggle with in churches. Have you ever been a part of a group that it's like, um, it's the educational Bible study almost, where like all of the answers that you have are uh, almost like pre-written fill-in-the-blank answers <laughs> to the questions of yep. like, why did Paul say that? And what it's really asking is more like, you know, what did this, how does this affect your life when Paul says that? And like you give like the actual answer that it says, oh, the Bible said A plus B <laughs> equals C. Yeah. And it's like this very scripted educational yep. answer, but it's not authentic and it's not real. And, yeah. and if you've ever been a part of a group like that in church life, you just hate it. <laughs> like, let's be honest, like at first it's safe, but after you've done it for a few weeks or you've been a part of that, you know, you're like, well, I'm just regurgitating information. I'm not actually doing any application right. because I don't want to take the risk Right. of exposure in this. Um, and then there's no growth, yep. you know, no risk, no reward kind of thing. And so um, being real, it can be risky, um, Yep. but you've got to be able to put it out there to grow. And, and let's just be honest, you're going to take that risk and it's going to come back sometimes to bite you yep. and hurt you. Um, we've all been there. Yep. doesn't make it right. doesn't make it good. doesn't make it easy. Um, but the reward is still worth it. In the long term of being a part of that. So if you've been hurt in the past that you said, hey, I've tried to be real in church, but maybe somebody else's legalism weighed me down mm. or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, man, I would encourage, um, acknowledge that. Yep. Acknowledge that. Be honest about yourself. Yep. You can acknowledge that with other people. Hey, I'm in this group. I would like to be authentic, but I want you guys to know I've been burned in the past. Mm. Um it's okay. Like acknowledge that, put that out there, give people that heads up um, and take the risk because the reward is, is worth it. Cause we're not meant to go through life alone. Yep. Yeah. And I, I often look to, I mean, Paul, Paul tells us, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I look at, okay, how did, how did Paul do this? How was Paul real with the church? And that's the cool thing about looking through Paul's letters is Paul is not afraid to tell you how much he's messed up. Yeah. Paul lived a messed up life and still messed up and called out other apostles who also messed up Um, and that's a public thing that's written in church history it's written in the word of god as this like permanent record of the screw-ups and so for some reason we take that and we're like oh that's really cool and then we come to church and then we enter into the bible study aspect of the the, this academic nature of well let's just look at this greek word and this greek word in this historical context and that's fine i love doing that i enjoy doing that but that's not the thing Again, when Paul talks about bearing each other's burdens, he doesn't talk about, you know, burying bear each other's burdens in the fact that you historically educate one another when it comes to how the Colossian church would have read this. That's not saying it's not important. But bearing each other's burdens means you have a real burden that you are not designed to carry by yourself. And so being real, being vulnerable is being like Paul where it's saying, hey, I killed Christians. <laughs> I persecuted Christians and we, you know, it becomes this kind of cliche thing in the church where Paul says like, I'm the chiefest of sinners and that becomes this cliche thing. But like Paul is saying, I'm the worst out of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's Paul being open and vulnerable. And so I think that's the thing for us to think about is, okay, how as, you know, if I'm in a life group or if I'm in a Bible study or whatever it might be, how do I react to someone that starts to be open like that? You know, when someone starts to open up and share just a little bit, they kind of crack the door on vulnerability. Am I going to be the person that, no, 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 shut that down. Let's go back into the historical context. Or can I lean into that and say, hey, 
Same. I struggle with the same thing because that's the dumb thing that we fall into all the time is Satan likes to make you think you're alone. You're the yeah. only person yeah. that struggles with this. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lie. Yeah. It's frustrating. It is. It is, man. Good stuff. Good questions. Um, anything you want to leave people with before we part ways today? Yeah. Um, man, if there's anything. <laughs> this is hey, next Sunday. We're having a fun party. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, lunch on the lawn. Lunch on the lawn. Um, bring your kids and bring a bathing suit because they're going to get wet. <laughs> yeah, that's news to me that we're now doing water sports. Yeah, so, yeah, so that, that was something kind of in the works I found out. And then it was like, uh, hey, we're getting a fire truck coming. It's like, oh, we're going big. All right, cool. <laughs> cool. So like if the fire truck's not here, um, pray for whatever emergency that was. <laughs> like we can't guarantee it. It's a fire truck. But uh, at the same time, you yeah. know, like all the different water games and stuff like that. Yeah. Really good pizza from Shevet. Have you ever had Shevet's pizza? No, I keep hearing about they it. They used to be called, uh, I think... If I have this right, I could be wrong. Shut your pie hole. <laughs> and it was like a big mouth kind of thing. And then they had some legal issues with the name, so they came shove it pizza as a result, which is just hilarious, That's that kind of better. attitude. Yeah. Um, and then Kona Ice and all sorts of fun stuff. So uh, really, it's a great time. If you're looking to meet people, like yeah. come meet some people. Come and yeah. take the risk and go have a conversation and sit next to somebody and just start asking questions. Yep. Um, yeah, it'll be a blast. And if you ever great. start to feel uncomfortable, there's apparently going to be a slip and slide that you can just say, hey, you know what? I got to duck out. I got to go slip and slide. That's right. Go play Gaga ball or something yeah, like easy that. Easy excuses. Yeah. Tons of excuses for you to jump in and out of conversations. It'll be a blast. Cool. Well, thanks so much uh, for your time. Jake, thanks for speaking. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lunch on the Lawn next week. Mark your calendars for that. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for submitting questions. Uh, be sure to do all the good social media stuff. Uh, like it. Like the video. Share the video. Comment. Share it with someone. It doesn't. I mean, you don't have to share it publicly. You can just share it in messages with people. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be this public thing. Although we do appreciate that. That's yeah. fine. Um, but yeah, keep uh, keep diving into Colossians. We're going into Colossians three next week. So keep reading through, and we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.